Welcome to Authentic AF with Aaron, powerful conversations for aspiring leaders. I always strive to bring on guests that will push the limits of what you think is possible for you in your leadership. The goal is to create a shifted and transformed perspective on what it takes to truly lead and inspire. If you think you have what it takes to be Authentic AF, then come join the Facebook group, Authentic AF with Aaron. Thank you for listening and enjoy today's show. So welcome to another exciting episode of Authentic AF with Aaron. Today's guest is a mentor of mine. I actually sought him out when I was first working on my dating app startup idea several years ago, almost four years ago. I can't believe this. And so uh, Sam McAfee is his name. He's a Silicon Valley veteran. He's been around. He knows what it takes to make a company really scale successfully, especially with digital products and finding that product market fit. So he's really intuitive at understanding quickly, you know, what is and what isn't working in different uh, products and people, which is perhaps the more intriguing conversation we might have today. And so he's really working right now, uh, kind of on -on one-on-one or group, small group basis with product executives and people and teams to really help them develop things that are gonna, you know, have large and massive impact and uh, helping people step into their leadership. He wrote a book uh, about startups, startup patterns, and he does regular speaking engagements. He's, uh, you know, comes from an engineering background, if I'm not uh, mistaken, and he's just, he's just a, you know, uh, what do they call it, a staple genius? No, I'm just kidding. He's one of those guys that I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to call Sam or I need to ask Sam this, like he's he's the go-to. And I'm excited for him to have this conversation with us today. So welcome, Sam. Yeah. And I'm excited to be here. It's always yeah. fun to talk to you. Yes, for sure. And like, you know, radical honesty. Uh, you know, I just love how when we're talking, like when the record button is not hit, and, and I'm like, I wish I had the record button on right now because this is like gold. Yeah, it's the same when the record button is not hit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's the thing is, you know, uh, when we think about the environment that we're in right now and we're recording this around the time of the uh, coronavirus pandemic and some of the quarantine and lockdown stuff going on we're about a month and a half in and and there's some some findings and realizations people are happening and having and you posted something really profound the other day on linkedin about like the different possibility space for for companies and and their leadership and i found it so intriguing so i just love for you to speak into that post and kind of let us uh you know for those who haven't seen it and may not want to dig through your link depending on when they're listening to this just like let us know yeah exactly no we're gonna make you scroll (laughs) no so i i you know i've been having a lot of conversations with a lot of different people since this thing started and you know my my clients tend to be uh, technology managers of different kinds um sort of mid-level to executives and it was really fascinating to see how they're experiencing the pressure of this totally unprecedented situation. And so it it occurred to me, and I just posted about this, that companies were kind of taking one of two directions in how they're dealing with the crisis. Some of them are uh, sort of turning inwards and and not in a good way, like kind of cutting back and laying people off and, and, um, you know, tightening belts and turning on each other. And, um, you know, and that's not to say that in the economic downturn aspect of this, 
you know, everyone's going to be affected in terms of revenues and, and some whole industries will undoubtedly be completely, uh, you know, displaced. But for companies that are, that are, have choices to make that are sort of still around and are adapting, they can be either that way that I described where they're more um, sort of negative of a mindset of scarcity and creating a, a culture of fear um, or companies are really rising to the occasion and pulling together as a team and using openness and transparency and compassion uh, to really empower their people to get together and think of creative ways to navigate this crazy time. And uh, it caused a real stir. A lot of people um, were sort of moved by the post and people posted a lot of comments and it got a lot of discussions um, going with a few people on the side who wanted to talk more about it with me. But I think this is really a moment of choice where a lot of our previous assumptions about, about the world, about our society, about how it works, that seem to be very uh, permanent and intractable uh, are really coming into question. You know, like everything is sort of up in the air and it's a real decision point about what kind of world we want to live in you know, sort of how we react to this crisis, what kinds of things, like it's definitely not business as usual. And there are a lot of people that are talking about, well, when are we going to get back to business as usual? And I, I think it hasn't quite sunk in for those people that, that the old world is gone, that like there are going to be parts of this experience where we're really going to leave some things behind. And, it'll, and I think in a lot of cases, that will be uh, a positive thing. That there, there's an opportunity to change some aspects of our world that, um, you know, are sort of unfair or unjust or unequal or however you want to put it, that, you know, it's high time that we had some real conversations about how we're living on this planet. Um, so I think, I think there's a real opportunity, despite the, the horror of the, you know, people who are affected, uh, people who are dying, it's obviously a terrible, terrible thing. Um, and at the same time, it's causing a total rethink, you know, at a, at a global level, uh, unlike any, anything we've ever seen. Absolutely. So we, try, we have to try to use it as an opportunity to, you know, rethink a lot of our previous assumptions. One of the biggest ones, I just watched this fantastic video on Instagram, uh, it was a spoof on the uh, the working from home, the five stages where it st starts out with exuberance and ends with like, you know, pure chaos and misery, you know, yeah. the kids are, kids are uh, finding you wherever you are in the house. He, he was like working in the bathtub at one point, but right. you know, that's like, <laughs> that's an extreme example. But the, the idea of the way that we do work, the way that we relate with people has changed fundamentally in the period of less than two months. Yeah. You know, and, and it was so violent and filled with unknown and fear that it's really forced, like we're talking about this, this concept of the pressure cooker and like, it's really forcing out the liquid, you know, it's forcing out the stuff that isn't like the real core fibrous material yeah. that makes up what makes a successful relationship, whether that's business or personal, what makes a successful product business, what makes successful connection. People are very, like you said, in, in the two camps of like, I'd almost call it like denial. 
you know, like it's going to go back to the way it was. And then the, the people that are willing to shift, maybe it's three groups. And then the third group would be like, I'm so excited. I can't believe that this opportunity is here. I've been waiting my whole life. You know, this might be like the yoga crowd and I'm part of the yoga crowd, so I can make that joke. But uh, you know what I'm saying? Like people are, there's all kinds of messages out there, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's been the same for you, but <clears throat> I've been finding, you know, as I, uh, you know, eliminate the last parts of what I think was coronavirus from my lungs here, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about who do I want to be on the other side? Like I, I've had a real magnifying lens on like how I've shown up in my life and my work up until this point. And I want to make some big changes. In fact, I've already started making them. And, and I don't know, like, do you have advice for people that are kind of sitting with that and what you've seen? Um, possibly, you know, I don't know if it's advice so much as, I mean, I can, I can share my perspective and the kinds of things I'm thinking about. So like, before this was this even happened um you know i've been making a shift in my both both in my life and in my work um away from sort of more technical and kind of process based work uh focusing more and more on on the relationships between people right so already you know the last couple of years as i've you know, largely, let's call it a pivot, like pivoted towards leadership coaching and away from some of the more technical uh, consulting I used to do. Um, the reason why that is happening, I think, is because, you know, I've been having this slowly emerging realization that, that it's really about people, that it's about sort of the relationships that you have. Like if you uh, switch jobs, if you work in a place and you leave it and you go to a new place, a lot of the real, the thing that really matters um, isn't so much like how much money you're making or what exactly you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. It has to do with your team and your boss and like the culture of the company. It's like the people that you're with, uh, you know, because you have to spend all day with those people, right? And so I think that like, I was already thinking a lot about people and I think that this situation creates both the necessity and the opportunity for us to rebuild connection. So the irony of being physically isolated at home is that a lot of people are basically reaching out uh, and establishing new connections, like on a social level. And I've been just starting to do this. Honestly, it's taken me a long time, but a lot of my friends I'm seeing are doing it where they're reaching out and having, you know, happy hours and zoom parties and phone calls with folks they haven't talked to in years, right? Like everyone's reaching out and seeing how everyone else is doing. And, and then I think with the work situation, there's, a, there's also an opportunity for us to spend some time kind of getting to know each other again. You know, even our coworkers, like the way that people are interacting since we're all in this kind of forced informality we're all at home the dog is there the kids are there um you just you can't keep up airs of being a you know having your your tie in your boardroom and being really sort of slick in appearance like none of that stuff really holds anymore and i think that's forced people to strip away a lot of the the armor that we all wear when we're out in the world but to pull away the persona uh, you know, if you want to think in terms of Jungian psychology, like drop the persona and get to the real. 
Um, and I think that creates an opportunity for people to connect in a way that they hadn't really been able to or didn't feel like they had permission to do so before. Now we have no choice, so we might as well take advantage of that fact. I love that. Oh my God, it's so true. It's so true. You know, I was thinking about that too, that when you get to the point of breakthrough or maybe there's tension in something, let's just say there's tension in something, you're having a struggle, a uh, triggered type of a situation. And there's two ways that you can show up if you're going with the Jungian type of thought process. You can show up with the shadow of judgment and really hold people small and in the, the, the lack. And then there's also the light of possibility. And when you shine that light, it can really like empower and create a different way of seeing things. It's like, there are some people walking around, I feel with these different shades of glasses. Like some people don't have glasses, they can see just fine. Some people have some corrective lenses, you know, maybe they've been doing some therapy, I don't know. <laughs> you know, some people have some, some sunglasses or normal glasses, other people have no sight. And, and the, the progression in that is, how can we show up with more, light in this possibility of uh, in in the space that is we're not in the way we've done things ever before mm -hmm. and instead of judging it to be all the things that are wrong with it looking at it as like well what could we change that could create something similar and or better i've actually had tremendous experiences i had this this morning you might like this that people keep talking about like live events mm -hmm. So riddle me this, does a live event really have to happen in person? Or can a live event be like what we're doing right now? I mean, this is tape recorded, obviously, for the, the audience's yeah. sake, but right? Like right. even the way we're using our words is changing. Is yeah. vir virtual versus online, live versus in person. Like there's like nuances and little things, like you said, like the, the little things are starting to gain a tremendous value. Like are people going to accept the fact that they need to go back into the office after this? Maybe some people liked it. Maybe some people yeah. needed an escape from the kiddos, you know, who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot too, that, um, you know, I, I definitely had a point of humility in a lot of this because I, you know, I've been in the startup world, I'm a software engineer, um, and I really grew up working in small teams, working together, sitting next to each other at the same table, you know, um, chatting uh, all throughout the day and, and getting our stuff to work together. Um, and so because of that, because of that sort of bias for small collaborative cross-functional teams, for years, I've been writing and speaking about the importance of co-located teams. Um, you know, it's not that I'm against remote work, but I think that in, in the normal world that we were in before, I made a really strong argument that if you could be co-located, you should. Yeah. Because there was a lot about, you know, that water cooler bonding that happens. Like when people are, are spending non-work time together, they create levels of social bonding and trust that makes it easier to do work when things are hard later, right? Like it makes it easier to do, to resolve work-based conflicts if you all already respect each other on a, on a social level, right? And there's trust. So that was sort of the rationale. And I, I still very strongly believe that now we're in the situation where that's completely impossible, right? So now I'm having to coach people through having their teams be 
effective and performant and being able to lead them in the right ways where being co-located is totally not an option. And so I think that, I don't think it's as simple as just, oh, you know, people were working, there were distributed teams and people were, there were some people that were working kind of remote first in their companies before. It's not just about remote versus in person. It's about how you actually connect, like what kinds of conversations you have, when and how frequently and how many people are in the room that really matters. And so I've, I've been forced to rethink how I feel about, you know, getting work done with a group of people that are all working from home. Like it wouldn't be my first choice, frankly, but now here we are. And so it's been a big constraint and a humbling moment for me to have to rethink a lot of my own material. I'm like, okay, well, how do I filter everything through the lens of, well, now we all have to work from home. So how do we, how do we make our meetings more effective? How do we do collaborative whiteboard sessions? How do we pair program? Like all this stuff that was very implied in person is being sort of re redesigned and rethought with a, a remote only option. Um, and that's weird and uncomfortable for me, but, but I'm trying to make the most of it. And I think people are being really creative in some interesting ways that's really impressed me and really kind of changed my mind in some ways about how work is done and what, what are effective ways of people being collaborative and creative together. Yeah, that, that example of pair programming, from my own experience, what I really liked about pair programming as a concept is that you get to not be fully accountable for what you're doing as, you, as you're, you're doing it. You have the, the team approach, right? Yeah, and shared and, responsibility. Yeah, shared responsibility and, and how you have uh, an opportunity to receive feedback and, and, you know, opportunity for grace, opportunity for speaking up, having courage. And then also uh, the, the, the value of being together in the same location is you can sense things that may not be said. You know, yeah. I, I've had people talk about the power of body language and other things, but in a virtual sense, it almost might make it easier for, especially if you might feel uh, attachment or introversion around, um, you know, speaking up or, or not being, I, I sometimes have more comfort behind the screen than I like potentially as an example, this broadcast, if I had it on video, like I do my online shows, could reach thousands of people. Mm -hmm. But because I'm not in front of the thousand people living, breathing, right in front of me, sharing the exact same proximity and space, yeah. I'm only present to me and my energy from presenting behind this computer screen. So it's like I show up differently. And I actually feel like I show up better in this sense than, than you know, and not to say that I don't get to grow into that skill set of being in front of a thousand person room. Hell, I want to be in front of thousands of people at some point. And so growing into the confidence, this actually has allowed me to grow in. So if you're pair programming, getting back to that example, I would actually like it because I wouldn't feel the pressure of the person judging me. It's just like they're on the other side of the screen and I'm like typing and they're watching and it's like, okay, you know, like what a powerful screen sharing opportunity without, uh, you know, without indirect feedback of sorts, right? Right, yeah, that, that is interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that aspect. When I think about pair programming, what comes to mind is that as you're working, you know, particularly if you're writing code, but I think it's true for other kinds of work, you know, you have this dialogue 
in your head or mo let's say a monologue in your head about what you're doing at least I, and I think some people are aware of it I, I think everyone's got it but maybe you may or not actually hear it um, but you know you're sort of like thinking to yourself okay now I'm gonna do this and uh, how, how does that look and does this look right and maybe I should change this thing but in pair programming you're doing that out loud right so like there's actually another person sitting there and it, it's loud like if you've ever been near anyone pair programming you listen to them like they're chattering the whole time about stuff they're working on um, because that's part of the process. It's not really about the typing. It's about the communication between two people. And so it, it all really comes down to communication, right? Like it's all about like how we communicate with, with each other. And so I think we're being forced by circumstance to rethink what we mean what kinds of communication are effective for what situations right so like i would imagine or i haven't personally had this experience yet but but i know that even the ceos of some of the biggest companies are also quarantined at home with their kids and their cats and what have you and so like there's a certain social leveling that happens because we're all in the same situation you know, so that phrase may feel a little corny at times that we're all in this together has never been more, more true and profound as it is now, you know, Absolutely. and we really are. So like now you have companies where, you know, folks are having, you know, one-on-ones with senior executives and they're at home just like you are, you know, with the corny backgrounds and like, you know, cat walking across the keyboard and all those things that come with working from home yes. it it takes a lot of the that like i was talking about before the persona that people wear that sort of you know social um i think social distancing was probably was probably better defined as what we were doing before <laughs> you know like what yeah. we're doing now is physical distancing but like oh my gosh there was a lot of hierarchical social distancing that was happening in the world before coronavirus. Yes. Um, so it's interesting to think about that aspect sort of being broken down and leveled. I mean, that's one of the things I was referring to in the beginning. It's like just the way that we think about people's roles in an organization, um, particularly a hierarchical one, um, if not being completely questioned, they're definitely being cast in a different light than they were before, you know, which creates opportunity for us to look at them differently. Yeah. Absolutely. Gosh, that was super powerful because what I kept thinking about was when, when you're leveling the playing field, it's, you know, when you think about like gender dynamics, which I imagine you run up against, especially in engineering teams where there's a gigantic disparity between the number of men and women. Well, oh. think about how it got flipped a little bit on its head here too, that, uh, you know, people that previously were used to working in offices are now at home seeing what really happens, not just with their spouse, but also with their children. What if somebody decided that they wanted a new way of being and living and, and doing their work? Or maybe you start seeing that like the person that you thought was doing nothing at home is actually doing a lot more. Or maybe you see the way that the, the spouse, partner, or whoever, a friend, that you thought that they were this way and then you see them working and you're like, who the, you know, is this? And so there's a lot of change and shift in some of the, like you said, the kind of old way of doing things. And, and it's forcing us to be, I believe, more intimate with the sentiments we have about it. Like we're noticing a lot more in being distanced 
than we ever did in being physically together, which, which yeah. is, you know, fascinating. I love that. Gosh, like, I'm going to think about that for a while, even after this, uh, this is done. Maybe yeah. you helped me write a blog post. Thank oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you live to serve, right? Yeah. Yeah, happy to share. So um, what have you been working on? Like, what are the big projects that you're working on lately? Well, um, I'm actually uh, a couple different things. I'm working on a book. I've been working on this book for uh, a long time, it feels like. Um, I pretty much started thinking about my next book as soon as the first book was done. Um, but, you know, with books, uh, it takes a while for it to, to come together. At least it does for me. Um, I, I put my first book out. It took a lot of time in calendar time, but it wasn't concentrated. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't a full-time author. It wasn't like I was sitting at home writing, you know, for three months in a row. Like it took me two years to write my first book, but it was like nights and weekends, right? So I'd like write little bits and it just took a long time to get it all out. Um, but I got it done and I, I like it. I highly recommend it. You should read it if you're doing a startup. It'll be very helpful. But it, it, because it was my first work, as soon as it was finished, I um, immediately thought of like 20 things I would have changed about, right? Um, and it also is uh, more of a lightweight uh, work in that, it, it, you know, I did it in a very sort of fast and loose kind of lean startup style, um, self-published it, got out the door. It's very easy. It's not super long. The thing that I'm trying to write now feels a lot more um, uh, weighty. It has more sort of gravity to it. There, there's a bigger thing that I want to say. And so it's been taking a lot longer for the ideas to coalesce. And I started it a couple of years ago. And I think 2018, I started writing. And basically, the you know, I'll just say the thesis of the book is that in it's about the way that we work and the way we organize the institutions of work and like the social trends that have changed over time in sort of methodologies and process and culture uh, and that they've been moving gradually from a very hierarchical way of organizing things starting say like in the beginning of the 20th century the industrial world to more and more decentralization and small groups of people working collaboratively and less hierarchical um you know certainly like agile in its pure form uh, if there is such a thing but like the intention um is more like that uh, you know the principles of lean are more about sort of people and pushing decision making authority down to like the frontline workers like there's a lot of flipping the authority and hierarchy on its head in these methods and processes and i think there's this inexorable trend over the last hundred years or so towards a more collaborative and equal and equitable way of organizing work. Um, and so I had, I had been working on it. And to, to that end, I, I've done a lot of work in the last year or so with uh, co-ops. Um, there are a couple of um, programs, uh, you know, co-ops have always been around, but I, I got, um, associated with uh, an accelerator program that uh, was helping to foster um, 
co-ops that are basically scalable tech companies, but organized as a cooperative rather than a sort of a, a traditional VC-backed company. Um, and I've contributed a lot to their sort of training programs and that sort of thing. But part of it is research for the book too, um, because co-ops are kind of like the ultimate example of a completely democratically organized institution that produces a product or good or service, right? So um, to me, I think that there is a really exciting opportunity for experimentation that has been latent in our economy and kind of slowly uh, bubbling, but, but really under the surface and not really visible. But now with this, this pandemic and the huge economic impact that's happened, and like, let's not kid ourselves, this one's gonna be a doozy. Yeah. Um, it creates an opportunity for us to rethink how we're actually organizing the economy, how we organize our companies and our institutions. And so there's actually a real opportunity for a lot of rethinking about, I mean, the supply chains are a mess. There's all kinds of things, you know, cracks in the system that are being exposed um, because of the pressure of the pandemic that I, I think create a lot of opportunity for new ways of organizing things, right? And so I'm actually really excited about some of the co-op teams that I'm, uh, you know, that I'm talking to um, and writing about for the book. And now the book all of a sudden is like, I've had it really on sort of like the back burner for about a year. And it sort of woke up in my head and was like, okay, now I want to be written. Now is the time, like is jumping out of my head like Athena from the head of Zeus. You know, it's just yeah. like, I yeah. can't stop it from coming out now. And I think the timing is actually really good. So now I'm sort of jumping back into that project and trying to get the book further along. And I'm talking to everyone I can find who is doing experiments around different ways of organizing their companies, different models of management and leadership styles, different types of governance, uh, different ways of doing the supply chain. Like I have a friend who's doing all kinds of interesting work around distributed, uh, distributed networks of maker spaces to produce goods and products and services that the more traditional centralized supply chains can't keep up with. Uh, especially around um, building like PPE for uh, response to the pandemic. Um, so there's all these interesting outcroppings of new thinking and new and exciting innovative ways of, of organizing people around producing the things that we need as a society. And so I think for me, that's one of the more exciting aspects of uh, what's happened. It's the silver lining, you know, that, that, uh, that gets me, uh, really thinking about the future. There's so much in that. And I'm really sad because we're at time, but you know, with just one, uh, one comment on, on something you said there about like the cracks of uh, opportunity that so many of us spend our careers or our lives. So trying to make everything perfect or make it right or make it so airtight that there's no possible room for something. And it really is truly the beauty of the cracks because that allows something to come in or, or go out that may need to move, that yeah. it becomes so rigid that it, you know, and, and as you were talking about the, the study of these changes, what I was thinking about was, you know, <laughs> there are so many companies out there 
in so many different industries with so many different like labor pools that of course it's going to take you a while to get through that because it's like a sociological study like what are the types of people that are drawn to here why does this model work better than this like is it you know the maslow's hierarchy of needs or is it something more jungian you know who knows right you know you're going to tell us i'm so excited i can't wait for this book to come out and you should definitely connect with sam like maybe just tell us how to, how's best to connect with you before we kind of sign off here sure yeah so the two easiest ways to find me are uh, either in link on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. It's sort of my primary communication tool. Um, easy to find and happy to connect with you if you send me a LinkedIn connection. And then um, the website for my company is startuppatterns.com. And so if you want to follow the book and its progress, that's probably the best place to go and sign up. Yeah, definitely get on Sam's email list. He comes out with lots of little nuggets of wisdom every now and again. And his LinkedIn is fantastic as uh, we started out this, this conversation talking about as well. So thank you, Sam. I really appreciate you being here and uh, sharing this, this wisdom and these thought provoking things with us today. I, I just, I love chatting with you and this was so much fun. Thanks, Aaron. It was yeah. always fun to talk to you. It's great. Absolutely. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to today's show, and I hope that you had a few aha moments or maybe even a breakthrough. The goal is to share that with somebody that you know and that you respect or that you care about. That's how we create the ripple effect of leadership in the world. The show notes contain the ways that you can connect with both myself and the guest. Don't hesitate. We absolutely love connecting with you. If you like what you heard, subscribe so that you don't miss out on any more amazing podcasts that I drop. I hope that you have an amazing kick-ass day and thanks for tuning in to Authentic AF with Aaron. See you next time.